Morning, everyone. Good to see you today. As you know, the R in R-rated stands for restricted, and so we're looking at what God has restricted and why. Now, the movie R is for those under the age of 17. We understand that certain content in movies can really do harm, especially to a young mind. But at the age of 17, the restrictions are lifted, not because we think that the harm magically disappears on a person's 17th birthday, but because we understand that a key part of growing up, a key part of maturity, is the ability to see for yourself what is harmful and to restrict yourself from the things that are harmful. But we are living in a time of tremendous restriction, confusion, and change. And before we are going to talk about some of the restrictions that God has put in place for our protection, I want to take uh, these three Sundays just to kind of step back and look at the context for all of this restriction confusion. And the context is our culture. Now, we've talked about how culture is kind of like pickle juice. Every pickle starts out as a cucumber. The cucumber is turned into a pickle whenever it's put in a jar that is full of brine, and it's left to soak. And over time, the, the brine oozes into the cucumber and changes it to taste like the flavor of the brine. We say then at that point the cucumber is pickled. And that's the effect that every culture has on every person. We are pickled by our surroundings. We are born kind of as cucumbers. We have some flavor. But a lot of the way we think and a lot of what we value, the real flavor of our life, is influenced by the cultures that we grew up in. And the brine of what our culture values oozes into the pores of our heart just by us hanging around the culture that we are raised in. Now, we don't see the jar and we don't really even taste the juice. This is just the way things are. Last Sunday, we considered some of the key ingredients that are dominating the flavor of our culture right now and where they came from. Today, I want to look at the medium that delivers these new ideas that exist in our culture. Now, medium comes from a Latin word that means middle. And so a medium is simply the means of conveying something. It's kind of, well, it's the middleman. And so if you're going to turn a cucumber, for example, into a dill pickle, you need a medium to deliver the dill flavor into every cell of that cucumber. So when it comes to pickling, one of the most common mediums is vinegar. The dill is suspended in a solution of vinegar, and when the cucumber sits in the vinegar, the vinegar enters into every cell of that cucumber and delivers the dill flavor to that cucumber. Now, when it comes to the pickling effects of a culture, the primary medium has always been the family. That's the first context that we become aware of. That's where we learn the language of that culture. That's where we learn the values and the thought processes of that culture. And family life is still a, a dominant influencer in the way we think and what we value, what our core values are. And then as a child grows up, they discover that there's more in their world than just the family. They first kind of notice this, and then they begin to interact with this. And the, the new medium beyond the family begins to take effect in their life, and that is the larger community. This is the way it's been really throughout all of human history. The family is kind of the first circle of influence in, a, in an individual's life, and then over time the larger community begins to have an influence. If you've raised um, teenagers, you know how the community begins to have a bigger and bigger influence in their life, and your influence begins to diminish at that point in time. But in the last 90 years, a new medium has emerged in modern culture, and its power is so pervasive that we simply refer to it as the media, short for medium. Now, we call it the media because of its ability to bypass the family and the community and go directly to the individual. 
Now, the medium as a, or the media rather, as a cultural influencer first began with radio in the 1930s. For the first time in history, after the radio uh, not only was invented, but began, radio sets began to be produced and began to be sold in people's homes, for the first time in history, an idea could be communicated directly to millions of people at the same time. That had never been available before. This was something new. And then after World War II, as people uh, returned from war and families were united and new families were started, the television uh, began to take over the family living room uh, in the late 1940s and especially in the 1950s. And now with the rise of the internet and the smartphone, the megaphone of the media is without question the dominant shaper of what we think and what we value. Family still has an influence, community still have an influence, but the media just cuts through both of those and goes directly to an individual. Now, a medium is generally considered to be neutral. It's just the means of conveying something. It's the middleman. It's, it's the vehicle. Uh, it's neither good nor bad. It's just the delivery method of the ideas. Now, the ideas can be good or bad or true or false, but the medium just carries those ideas. So television isn't evil. I mean, it can deliver evil things or it can deliver good things. It can deliver truth or it can deliver lies. The same thing with the Internet. The Internet isn't evil. There's tremendous good things that can happen through the Internet and do happen through the Internet, and there's a lot of evil that can be delivered through the Internet. It's just a medium. But this new medium, especially with the rise of the Internet and our access to it, is beginning to have some harmful side effects regardless of the content that's being delivered, whether it's good content or bad content. Just the medium itself of the Internet and the way we access it is beginning to, to really have some effects on us. And it is affecting our ability to evaluate and determine what is true. And that's a problem because, well, when it comes to our theme verse, we need to be able to think clearly. Let me read our theme verse for this series again. This is Romans 12, verse 2. It says, Do not conform any longer <clears throat> to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the key part that gets the whole transformation process going, to, to get us to go from valuing and thinking whatever our culture values and thinks to what God values and thinks, the, the key is we have to be able to think. If we can't think clearly, then the transformation process can't even get, get started. And because of how we think, because of the way our minds work and the process that we go through when we think, the media is beginning to impact us in a couple of ways. And this comes from two of the ways that we think. The first is we are partial thinkers. Now, this is not something new. This is the way we've always been. Partial knowledge has always been true of us. We don't know everything. We just know some things. We have partial knowledge. And therefore, all of our thoughts are partial thoughts. They're, they're not complete. We don't know everything. We just know some things. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 through 12 is a great description of, of what this means for us. It says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection in a mirror, and then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So it starts out as, as a child, the thoughts of a child. How, how, does, how do children think, and how do children reason? Well, depending on their age, but it starts out 
completely emotional, right? I mean, if a child is hungry, they don't have the words to communicate, so they just cry or scream. If they're hot or cold, they cry. Now, as the child gets older, they learn more and they learn some language and they can begin to communicate. But still, a, a child's thought process is usually pretty emotional. It's always amazing how children can just immediately burst into tears and then pretty quickly stop it. But how do adults think? Well, we, we're still emotional, but we kind of keep it together. We're, we're able to think more rationally. Why is that? Well, it's because we know more. We have more pieces of knowledge. We have more pieces to the puzzle that is our world, and, and we have a larger vocabulary to talk about it with. But do adults know everything? No. You know, as, as it says here, it's a great description. Now we see but a poor reflection. You know, at best, what we see is a small and limited reflection of all that is reality. We, we don't see everything. We don't know everything. We, we get a glimpse here and a glimpse there, and we, we can put some things together, but our knowledge is incomplete. As it says, we know in part. We are limited beings. We can't be everywhere. We can't see everything. We can't know everything. Now, one day, we'll be able to see our Creator face to face. And what will happen at that point is we will know fully. What that means is we'll get to see the entire puzzle. We'll get to see the front of the box and see how this is all put together. Right now, God knows us fully. We don't even know ourselves fully. We know some of ourselves, but we continue to do things that we, we don't understand. But God knows exactly what's going on. And there will be a point when we see the one who knows us fully, and we then will know fully. But right now, we don't. So what should we do until that day? Well, we have to keep learning. This is why learning is so important to us. In fact, the key condition of growing is learning. As a young child learns more and more and more, growth just continues even after our bodies have reached adulthood. If we stop learning, we stop growing. So we need to keep learning and adding more pieces of knowledge to our incomplete puzzle. And that's why, in order to be transformed, we need to be continually renewing our mind. We need to be able to think and put pieces together. Now, when it comes to learning new things, I mean, what could be better than the Internet? I mean, it really is amazing in giving us access to more and more knowledge and more puzzle pieces than we could ever have imagined before. Let me show you a picture of the, what the library looks in my uh, home office. It's not a particularly big library. It used to be about four times this size. And the reason it's gotten down to this size is because I really don't use books as much as I used to. And so there was no reason to just kind of store books, and so I've kind of been paring my library down to the key books that I really want to keep and that I think are essential, but I still don't even use all of these books. And the reason is probably because of the same reason you don't use books a lot anymore is because of this other library that is even more efficient. Here's what my other library looks like. This is my computer on my desk. I can get a whole lot done with that library. The Internet is amazing in that it gives us access to more puzzle pieces, immediate access to more puzzle pieces than ever before. You used to have to find a book and then thumb through that book and try to find something. Now you just Google it and boom, there it is. It's amazing. But the access to the internet and the way it delivers information is beginning to reduce our ability to think, particularly as partial thinkers. 
It's reducing two learning conditions that are essential for us as partial thinkers. The first condition, if we're partial thinkers, the first condition that's essential for us to think clearly and well is we have to be able to focus. And the evidence is coming in that our attention span is being reduced. I mean, it's just across the board. The length of time that we are able to focus and concentrate is just cratering. It's getting shorter and shorter. Nicholas Carr wrote an article for The Atlantic entitled, Is Google Making Us Stupid? And he's talking about the impact that just learning and the way we access knowledge now online is, is having a profound effect in our brains and, and just the way the neural pathways are, are beginning to conform to the way we get information. And this article is really a summary of his book called The Shallows what the internet is doing to our brain. And in this book and in this article, he lists a number of studies, brain studies, that show how the internet is chipping away at our capacity for concentration and contemplation. We used to be able to just sit down and ponder stuff and kind of let, let the thought just ruminate and soak, and, and then we get some understanding. But we don't take the time to do that anymore. Brain studies are showing, as I said, that the neural pathways of our brains are being molded to take in information the way the Internet distributes it. It's called brain plasticity. It, it moves and changes. The actual neural pathways change depending on how we're learning. Now, how does the Internet distribute knowledge? Well, it's a continually swift moving stream of particles that we really don't have any time to do more than just skim, and we, we never pause to ponder what we're reading and skimming. Now, I've noticed this effect personally. I don't know if you've noticed this yourself. I used to be able to sit down and read for a fairly long period of time. But now, honestly, after just about 10 minutes of reading, I, I'm getting kind of antsy. And so what do I do? I reach for my phone and check my email, <laughs> get on Instagram, see if there's any new pictures of the grandkids that have popped up in the last 20 minutes. And, you know, do all the other things that we do on that. And then after about 10 minutes of that, okay, I'm ready to read again for eight minutes. And then mm, start wondering again about what's going on there. Now, when I do my research online, ads keep popping up about products that I've searched for in the past. It's amazing how smart they are. Now, they're not smart enough to realize apparently when I bought these things, because sometimes for two months later, it's like, I already bought it. Just leave me alone. I don't want to see more ads for, for that product anymore. But ads just keep popping up to distract me. And then when I watch a show on TV or I watch sports on TV, the screen is now absolutely jammed with information crawling on the bottom. And those faces popping up telling me, don't forget to watch this new show that's coming up in the middle of me watching this current show. So what's happening now is we have access to more and more pieces of the puzzle of knowledge but we are less able to focus long enough to connect them together. We're becoming very fragmented in our ability to think. A thought here, a thought there, a thought, but, but we don't, we can't pull it together because that takes time. That takes focus, and our attention span is being reduced. The second challenge is that our trust is also being reduced. Now, the ability to focus and the ability to trust are essential for partial thinkers. And the reason is that we can't be everywhere, we can't know everything, so if I'm going to learn more, I'm going to have to come up with a reliable source that I trust if I'm going to learn more. I can't travel to the 
other parts of the world to see what's going on there, I'm going to have to trust someone to tell me what's going on there. But the Internet has proven to be an unworthy source of knowledge, an untrustworthy source of knowledge. And that's because they're online there's just no official verifier of the truth. There's no way to do that. You know, if I say the phrase, hey, I saw it online, it must be true, you know what the response is, right? You laugh. No one takes that seriously. Oh, I saw it online, it must be true. We know better than that. We've been tricked. We, we know that that's not the case. Now, there are, of course, fact-checking websites, but a lot of those websites have agendas, so how can you trust even them? We just don't know that we can trust the fact-checking websites. And now with the rise of fake news, it's just the latest iteration of the trust problem we have with the media. Now, I'm not saying that we should throw out our smartphones. We spent too much money on them. We're, we're not going to throw them out. This is the world that we live in now. Th this is our pickle juice. This is the vinegar that carries the ideas. And so the question that's important to ask then is, how does the rise of the media affect this not conforming any longer to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind project. How does that impact this? Well, God knows everything. That's what it said in that verse before. He, he knows us completely. He knows everything completely because he created us. We only know things partially. So if our minds are going to be renewed by God's thoughts, it means that we're going to have to first decide to trust what he said in the pages of the Bible. But trust in any source of knowledge is at an all-time low. And the trust in the Bible is really low. But without that, we can't even get started on this project. We can't be transformed. We, we've just surrendered to whatever the pickle juice is delivering to us. We, we can't think outside of that because we don't have any source of information that we trust. So if, if we're going to be transformed, we first have to decide that we're really going to trust what God says in the Bible. Then secondly, we're going to need the time, the focus time that is necessary for the Bible to do its transforming work in us. And there's just no getting around the time factor on that. You know, some suggest that we should package the Bible into the medium of our culture. Things like five to seven minute, you know, YouTube kind of statements of here's what the Bible is saying or little devotionals. Again, those are helpful. I mean, I've, I've seen some pretty good stuff on YouTube that describes some of the key ideas in the Bible. But that, at best, that's just going to help people get introduced to what the Bible says. It's kind of like the front porch. It, if we don't actually open the front door and read it for ourselves, the job of the Bible changing us is just never going to get done. Jesus told a story that really is important for us to understand it's about how God's words transform us. It's the parable of the sower and the seed. It's the story of a man, a farmer, who goes out to sow seed. And the farmer in this story is a metaphor for God. And the seeds in this story are a metaphor for the words of God in the Bible. And we, well, we're the different kinds of soil that the seed lands on. And there are four kinds of story or soils, rather, in this story that represent the four kinds of ways that people respond to God's word. First, there's the hard soil. That represents the individuals that they hear God's word, but before the seed can even move beyond just initial hearing to a second thought, the heart is hard and the enemy comes in like a bird and just grabs the seed away. And so 
three, four, five minutes later, they can't even remember what they heard. It's gone. And then there's the rocky soil. These individuals, their hearts are not hard, and they've listened to what God has said, and then it's begun to grow, and some changes have begun to take place. But the problem is, is they, it just never takes root. And so when hard times come, when the rain stops, when things stop working, boy, they jettison God's word. You know, they, they gave it a 30 or a 90-day trial, and it, it's, it's not working anymore, and so they're, they're done with it. That's the rocky soil. Then there's the thorny soil. And these are the individuals who, again, they hear God's word, and it begins to change them. But over time, God's word just never gets the attention that it needs to grow because there's, well, there's all these other things in life that are like thorns, that are like weeds, that just keep taking all the nutrients and all the time and all the thought and all the energy out of the soil that is that person. And God's word, the seed just never really gets to grow that much. And then there's the good soil. That's the one that really brings about change. Here's how Jesus describes the good soil, the person who is the good soil. Matthew 13, 23, he said, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop. It says the crop sometimes is 100 times what that seed was, sometimes 60 times, sometimes 30 times. But the idea is that truth of God's word begins to begins a cascade of change in a person's life, and it, it actually goes and begins to impact people around them. Now, there's a lot that can be said about this story, but there's one factor that I want to focus on that distinguishes the good soil impact of God's word from the other three soils, and that one factor is time. There's no getting around the time. You know, the hardened soil has the shortest amount of time with God's word, just minutes, maybe even seconds, and then it's gone. The rocky soil, well, that's the next amount of time spent with God's word. The thorn thorny soil is the next amount of time. But it's not until you get to the good soil that you have enough time invested, just like planting crops, where it really is going to produce something of a harvest. So the point is this. God's word will not do its miraculous, life-changing work on a shortened timetable. It's like a seed that must be planted into a life and nourished over time. It's not like a piece of data that can be skimmed over quickly and liked. Now, the media keeps adding to the number of pieces in the puzzle box of knowledge, but it cannot give us the picture on the front of the box that helps us make sense of all the pieces. Only God's Word can do that. But that, well, that, that requires time to first hear and read God's Word and understand God's Word and produce a crop of change. I'm hearing more and more um, over the last 10 years people saying, you know, I, I, I really can't read the Bible because I'm not a reader. And I, I don't know what to say to that. That's like someone saying, I'm not an eater. It's like, I, I don't know how to get nourishment into your life if you're not going to open your mouth and chew stuff and swallow it. I, we're stuck. If you're not a reader and you're not willing to become a reader, then... God's Word can't change you. So we are partial thinkers, 
And that's a real challenge in the, the medium that's delivering the ideas in our culture right now because God's Word, while it requires focused attention and trust and time. The second way we think that the current media really is a challenge for is that we are popular thinkers. We're partial thinkers and we're popular thinkers. What that means is we kind of think in groups. Jesus, and again, this isn't new, Jesus was teaching uh, at one point on the topic of money and he was warning about the dangers of loving money and giving your life to it and how it brings all kinds of grief over time. But the people listening to him didn't agree with it, particularly the Pharisees. And here's their response in Luke 16, verse 14 through 15. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you're the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your heart. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So what this is saying is it's possible for us to be loving the flavor of our pickle juice, but to God it's, oh, it's detestable. Well, we don't notice it because we're floating in the pickle juice, and we're not the only ones floating. All of our friends are floating with us. One of the biggest obstacles in being transformed by the renewing of our mind process is that we are constantly justifying ourselves in the eyes of others. We're gathering around us an audience of people that we like and who like us, and all that really matters to us is if they like us. So we hear God's word, like these Pharisees heard the words of Jesus, through a filter of what is popular in the eyes of our subculture. Now, a subculture is the smaller part of the larger culture that we found a home in, populated by the people that we like, our small community. Now, we think that we're independent thinkers, but we really are group thinkers. Now, again, there's nothing new about this. This is just the way we always have thought. But what is new now is how social media particularly is serving this self-justifying, popular, crowdsourced, thinking tendency that we all have. And this really didn't just start with social media. It's been perfected with social media, but this has been true of the media from the beginning of radio. You know, at first when the radio was invented and then radio sets were begun to be affordable and be getting people's homes, the, the content initially was all music. For some reason, that's just what everyone thought we wanted to hear. It was just music. You can't go to concerts, so... Let's broadcast music into your homes. And then in 1928, something new was tried. It was called the Amos and Andy Show. Here's a picture of the two of them doing their show back in 1928. And this was the very first situation comedy, very first sitcom on radio. And what it ended up doing is kind of timed with, it's launched timed with the arrival of the Great Depression. And people's lives were, well, depressing. And so the Amos and Andy show was a welcome relief where people and families would gather around the radio to hear the next, you know, iteration of the show, the next part of the story. And this forever changed the content decisions of the media in all of its forms. Because two key lessons were learned from the Amos and Andy show. Number one, lesson number one is if you give the people what they want, your audience will grow. People didn't want music as much as they wanted situational comedy. So you give them that, the audience took off. The second lesson is if your audience grows, companies will pay you money to advertise their products. 
That's amazing. That, that hadn't been thought of, but it was thought of pretty quickly. And this went on to shape the content of radio first, and then TV, and now the Internet. In other words, if it wasn't popular, you wouldn't hear it, and you wouldn't see it. Now, you would think that the arrival of the Internet would have changed all of that. I mean, it used to be just the three big media companies delivering content for kind of a wide swath of what our culture thinks. And you think the Internet now, with all of its diversity, would have changed this. I mean, now there are countless content providers streaming their diverse content online. The amount of information online means that you can find pretty much any idea that you might want to see. So here's how that's impacted us. We will only search for what we want to see and what we want to hear and what we want to read. We will follow the blogs that we agree with. We will watch the shows that reflect the values that we and our friends like. You know, Google's mission, its stated mission is to develop the, the perfect search engine. That's, that's their mission. Well, their mission is to make money, but that's how they're going to make money is by developing the perfect search engine. This is how they describe that engine, that perfect search engine that they continue to work on developing. It understands exactly what you mean and gives you back exactly what you want. So who drives the ideas, then, that we are exposed to? You do. I do, for me. If you do or don't like someone or something, Facebook learns that. They learn what you like, and they give you back exactly what you want and nothing else. So some have called this phenomenon the daily me. You see, you used to wake up in the morning and read the daily news in whatever form the newspaper was. Some of it you liked, some of you didn't like, but that's the way print media was. You know, if you were publishing a newspaper for 200,000, 300,000 people in a region, you couldn't <laughs> provide everything that everybody wanted to read. You, you had to kind of go for the middle and write for the middle. But now with digital media, well, you, you can customize everything. You know, I, I've noticed on my, my iPhone, if I check the, the news feed, if I'm, if I'm reading stories from one or two particular sources more commonly, all of a sudden, all of the other sources simply don't exist anymore. Pretty soon, I'm just, there's just one or two sources on my feed. Because they've learned, oh, he doesn't like to read from this source. He never has read from that source. So we're going we're gonna to fine-tune the daily me. And so the daily me has become a kind of cultural echo chamber where you only hear, really, your own voice echoed back to you through other voices. You only view and hear what you already agree with. You read the news from the source that you agree with. You listen to the podcasts, podcasts you agree with. You read the blogs you agree with that reinforce what you already think and vilify those who disagree with what you think. We follow and comment on the lives of people we like and who like us. And here's the challenge with this. In this cultural echo chamber, where the walls of reality are bouncing back on us what we already think, we are rarely, if ever, challenged to really think. I mean, we pick up sound bites that get mad about, but we don't really have to think. See, it used to be that the real world, full of real people that we were talking to, would impose itself on us, would bump into us, 
And we would encounter people who really thought differently. And that would force us to at least consider, well, why do I think what I think? And we'd have to really evaluate, what do I, why do I think this way? And either we'd come to a better understanding of why we think the way we think, or it would change some of the way we think. But now we don't have to think that deeply. We just listen to someone that already agrees with us, who says it in a way that, yeah, that's a zinger. I'm, I'm going to remember that one. We don't really have to think deeply. And so what's happening right now is most people are firmly and emotionally committed to positions that they haven't really thought about. We are more emotional about stuff, and our thinking is, is this deep. We don't, if we were in a debate about that issue, we would get blown away because we couldn't stand We couldn't counter an opposing argument. We'll know why we think this way. We've spent the last three years just thinking this way and hearing everyone who thinks this way. So we don't think very deeply anymore. Now we just click thumbs up or thumbs down. That's as deep as we think. I like it. I don't like it. So what that means now is only unique and sizable cultural events make it past the walls of our daily me. I mean, something horrible has to happen in the world for it to break through the walls of our daily me. And even when that happens, our echo chamber is there to tell us how to think about what just happened. So the question again is, how does this daily me phenomenon get in the way of us being transformed by the renewing of our minds? Well, in order to be transformed, our minds need to be exposed to what God's will is. And, you know, God doesn't always agree with you and me. He doesn't always echo back, oh, yeah, you know, people say, my God. He isn't your God. He is God. He doesn't just jump into your daily me and tell you what he, he challenges what you and I think. So in order to be transformed, we need to learn what God has said about various areas of reality. The challenge, though, is God doesn't tweet. He doesn't have a Facebook account. He doesn't really have an online presence. I mean, yes, you can listen to, say, messages like this online. And you can honestly, you can find lots of God, tent, God content online. But it's, it's just someone like me talking. It's not God directly talking. This is, this is me. Someone else is serving as the middleman between you and God's Word. And again, that can be helpful from a front porch introductory standpoint, but it's never going to get the job of transformation done. I can't, my words can't change you. It can't even change me. Only God's words can do that. And here's what we need to understand is God's words in the Bible are the transforming medium. They are the medium of change. Not me, not anyone else, no blog, no podcast, no show will do it. What that means is we all need to sit down with an open Bible in an open heart personally and ask God to speak to us through his words directly. There just is no getting around this. Then we need, after we've read it and we understand it, some part of it, we need to take a seed from his word and plant it into our lives. What that means is we need to do what it says, seed by seed. Not just do it one day, but long enough for it to take actual root in our life. Now, you know that it's taken root in your life when you do that thing that God has said, even when you don't feel like doing it. Even when it's not raining joy and excitement outside in your life, but you're going through an emotional desert. 
That's how you discover how deep the roots are of a plant. What happens when the rain stops? How long will it live? How deep are the roots? That's when you find out how deep the roots go. When things aren't working out. When things don't feel good and you still take the seed of God's word and you choose to do it even though you don't feel like doing it. Oh, that's, that's deep roots. And that, but that takes time. That requires a daily dose over time of God's word, not a daily dose of you and not a daily dose of me. Jesus described it this way, and this is a phrase that you find throughout the pages of the Bible. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. All of this takes effort. You have to ask God for insight. You have to seek the pages of his word for understanding. You have to knock on the door of the barriers of your life until God opens up the door and you make progress. Another way of translating this in modern times would be you cannot Google God and find him. You just can't. You can Google God and find a lot about what other people have said about him, but the real God will only reveal himself to those who are willing to step outside of their own worlds, their own understanding, and seek him and read what he says and ask him for insight and keep pounding on the door of the barriers of our life until we get a breakthrough. How long? As long as it takes. Why? Why does does God put change up on a shelf this high? Well, it's because God is looking for real life followers. He's not not looking for thumbs up followers. He's not looking, he didn't didn't plan on trending anytime soon. He, He wants real people like you and me to really decide to trust him and follow him. And then, well, then we're transformed over time. So what can be done about this, the media challenge? I mean, Google, Google's not going to change. They are making way too much money to change. I know Mark Zuckerberg is the latest tech executive, summoned to Capitol Hill for the apology tour. We know how all that goes. Is they promise stuff and say stuff. But we know, I mean, don't we? We know that Facebook isn't going to change much, if at all. They're making too much money. Now, if they stop making money, their stock has gone down, they might change a little bit. But the other thing that everybody knows in the tech industry is they now know how they've shortened our attention span. That was a Facebook problem. That's last week's problem. It's not on our daily me. And so we've, all that Facebook needs to do is apologize and feign change for a week, and it's all over. So Google's not going to change, Facebook, the media's not going to change, smartphones aren't going anywhere. So like always, the change, the responsibility of change rests with me and it rests with you. So what do we do? Well, let me offer you three suggestions. And these are just suggestions. I don't got verses for these. These are just suggestions. One is a daily suggestion. The next is a weekly suggestion. And the last one is an occasional suggestion. First, the daily suggestion. I call this media second Media second. I mean, how does the media work in your life? The way it works in my life is I wake up and I reach for what? My phone. And I check my email and I see if any disasters have happened in the world. And I look on Instagram. Something must have happened while I slept. And I start doing that. 
Media second means before you check your email, before you read the news, before you look at whatever form your feed is, before you check your stocks, whatever your daily me is, check in with God first. Take the time to read your Bible and pray first. What I'm saying is look up before you look down. You're going to spend the rest of the day looking down. Start by looking up. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I'm not saying Jesus was talking about smartphones. This is the general principle. What he's saying is there's going to be all kinds of stuff that comes that's going to distract you. And I know for me, maybe not for you, but for me, if I start out with the daily me and then I go to read the Bible and pray, I'm already really distracted. I'm already three minutes of thought on God's word and then, what was that email again? Oh, I got to respond to that right now. So if I, if I look down first, it's really hard for me to ever look up for the rest of the day for an extended period of time. I would encourage media second as a daily policy. Now, if you want to just start on this tomorrow, you can take this message insert, open it on the inside, is the growth group homework. There are questions in there with Bible verses for you to read and questions for you to answer. You might just start this tomorrow morning. Just take this out and begin working on the homework for the growth group questions. The weekly suggestion is a media Sabbath. From the very beginning, God established the practice of a Sabbath. It's a day holy to him, the day of taking one day in seven to unplug from the daily grind for two purposes, the purpose of physical rest and then spiritual refocusing on him. So my suggestion is that you take one day in seven to unplug completely from your email, your social media, your favorite apps for just one day. You can do it. Just one day. Give your brain a break from the daily me and use the extra time. I don't know. Let's just get wild and creative. Do something outside. Um, get together with real people that you're talking to in, in, in live time and space. You know, just get creative. Just one day in seven, media Sabbath. Try it. And then occasionally, media fast. Fasting from food is a, is a common practice throughout Scripture that is designed to really focus on our relationship with God, particularly in prayer. And I recommend a media fast. What I'm saying by media fast is go without all forms of recreational media for one week. Now, I know you have to go to work. I know you're going to have to use the Internet at work, check email. But I'm talking about recreational forms of media. Let me, let me explain. Let me get real specific. No radio as you're driving, no TV, no Netflix, no podcasts, no Facebook, no Instagram, no Snapchat, no whatever it is. I know some of you are, (coughs) you're not sure you can take the next breath as you think about this. And I'll, I'll just tell you from experience, having done this, not a lot, but a few times, is it will show you how addicted you are to the media. I mean, I'm serious. You, ha- you will have complete withdrawal symptoms. You'll get irritable, cold sweats, maybe some of you. You'll just get real antsy. I mean, it, you will discover, my goodness, this has become a drug to me. 
And the other thing I've noticed the few times I've done this is I have been amazed after just one week, the longest I've done on this is three weeks, but after one week, I've been amazed at how different the world looks when I resurface. After a week of not looking at everything through the colored lenses of the daily me. You know, one of the things that's most amazing to me is how, <laughs> how sexually charged our culture is. You don't notice this until you step back and then you re-engage. It's like, that's almost all everybody can talk about. That's almost all every ad is about, which is our topic for next Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll talk about it next Sunday. Take a break. So these are just suggestions. Try these. There, there will be benefits if you do these. And the reason we do this is not just discipline, not just to not be addicted, but because, well, of our theme verse, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is available for us who seek and to ask, and to keep pounding on the door until it opens. I pray that you would speak directly to each one of us about what we need to do. I pray that people, that all of us would hear from you, not from me, but would get specific about what, what should they do. How can they, how can all of us be transformed rather than just conformed? We thank you for how good your will is, how perfect it is, and how pleasing, what, what the kind of life that it, it brings that is just a delight. We just pray that you would impact us and change us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.